every Tuesday to the Learning with Lowell podcast with me, your host, Lowell, to hear world-class scientists, startup founders, CEOs, and authors, people who you wouldn't normally hear about but are making huge waves all the same. You'll understand them and their work by hearing their passion, laughter, advice, and hearing them, the experts, break down what they're working on so that you can learn push the boundaries of your knowledge and understanding. Three quick ways to show your support and get unique, exclusive, and fun content is by checking out learningwithlowell.com website, our Patreon page. Even if it's just a buck, it keeps this advertisement free and subscribing. Today, we're joined by June, the scientific director and partner at IndieBio. She's a scientist, entrepreneur, and investor who is passionate about increasing the human health span. She has a PhD in chemical biology from the Scripps Research Institute. She's a co-founder and CEO of My Diagnosis and Discovery. She was a scientific lead at Synth Corporation. Overall, she's a very smart scientific person working at IndieBio, which is kind of an off-branch of SOSV, who make like a four-month program where people get 250K in funding to help develop their science-related entrepreneur vision. They've helped out many startups and they're always looking for more. If you're looking at creating something in the food, agriculture space, consumer biotech, computational biology, digital health, therapeutics, medical devices, neurotech, regenerative medicine, like those are the people, give them a, give them a, sh- a shout out, uh, apply. Some of the people they've had in the program is Clara Foods, Memphis Meats, Ava Labs, you know, and the like. So let's get into this and learn more about June, IndieBio, and what's really special about what they developed. One of the topics I know we wanted to get into is this idea that people can use biology to affect climate change. And one person that we had on the podcast who's doing that in a big way is George Church because he's working on bringing the woolly mammoth to keep permafrost temperatures lower so they don't you know, evaporate and then have this you know, horrible greenhouse gas runoff. Are there technologies or startups in particular that you think are, are doing that, but in their own way, that, that uh, their own type of concept of that? Yeah, definitely. So as we know, the entire world uh, is very much all living beings are biology and uh, even fossil fuels are from biology originally. Um, And so we think that there's a lot of ways that the environment has sustained itself and evolved over millions of years to really harness a lot of the materials that we have in the world, um, the organisms that live here, and and especially all the microbes in our soil and everywhere that is in this harmonious, um, this you know balance, uh, and so if we can start to harness that balance and to help to rebalance the earth, um, we think that biology and bi- synthetic biology, especially, can can do that. So, at IndieBio, we focus on a couple of different avenues, um, and and we're always open to new ideas around how biology can help with the environment. Um, one big area is in food supply chain, knowing mm-hmm. that our population is going to increase and we're one we're simply not able to feed our growing population in the near future um, that we are you know obviously eating a lot more animal uh, meat and that causes a lot of greenhouse gases uh, antibiotic resistance and then of course animal slaughter and welfare issues mm-hmm. and, uh, and and also the transportation distribution side of all that um, so a lot of folks are are looking at how do we replace healthy protein to feed our population in a way that doesn't harm the world. So um, many of the companies um, are doing cell-based meats, such as growing 
taking a stem cell biopsy from an organism and growing that in the lab as replacement. So Memphis Meats, New Age Meats, Finless Foods are companies that we've invested in that, that are doing that. Um, other companies are doing a lot of meat replacements or molecular foods, looking at the molecular composition of a food and, and changing them up, um, like Geltor, making gelatin by fermentation or Clara Foods making egg whites by fermentation. Uh, so that's kind of the food aspects. Uh, other areas that we're really interested in are, of course, replacing plastics, right? The save our oceans and um, and getting rid of all the plastic wear that we use every single day. Um, we have a company that's coming in that's going to be making plastics that that degrade very easily, and so you can have you can essentially tune food products to dissolve in certain certain um, certain ways uh, to to alleviate the use of petroleum plastics. Um, and we're also looking at companies that are trying to disrupt aquaculture, such as Novel Nutrients. They actually use CO2 waste from industrial plants and growing microbes. And then the microbes themselves are actually used as food to feed to fish. So they're actually making a uh, fish meal replacement. Fish meal is actually just ground up small fish and we're overfishing. So the cost of fish meal is going up. And but fish meal is still super nutritious for feeding your farmed salmon um, and, and larger fish. And so they're using microbes to, to make that food mm -hmm. for the fish. So um, there's a lot of different avenues of both from the, aqua, uh, the agriculture side, um, the, um, the, the plastic side, there's bioremediation mm -hmm. around uh, cleaning up coal mining, gold mining water, and getting rid of the dangerous molecules and, and before you dump those back into the streams. Um, and yeah, we think that synthetic biology as organisms are naturally able to grow and produce basically everything that we have in the world. Why can't we harness that energy and, and really focus them onto to solving some of these big problems? Yeah, definitely. And for, for people listening in to give an idea, just going from back to front, the like clean meat, the I think it's something along the lines of like a third to two thirds of like our meat based production has as much methane going up in the air as our industrial production. And, or I think it's even more than that. And I do more. Yeah. 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 No, I think it's a lot more, but it's, but it's, it's quite significant. If you can take something that takes nine months, just looking at a cow takes nine months to, to gestate takes a year or so to raise then it takes you know this huge trucking mechanism to slaughter and then just get it to the the grocery imagine i always imagine it kind of like a almost like a mcdonald's or like a microbrewery down the down the road where you go and get like oh i'm gonna get my my fish stuff or my uh my beef today and it's gonna be grown locally which will be really interesting because then you take that supply chain problem out of it which reduces a lot of uh issues we're having with uh global warming because it, it'll be reducing all that but i think that's just really exciting for people listening just in an example like how big of a, a difference it is if you can take away basically two years of production and grow it over the course of like a month or two right down the street i mean that, that's yeah. really big and then in terms of plastics uh, uh someone said this it was really smart it was i think it was molly morse from mango materials she said that we make plastics to last, last a lifetime but we only use them once yep Exactly. So it's like, why are we doing this? And then, um, mm. but just like, just like kind of point out like how important these things are. But one question I definitely had for you is how do you know 
when you're looking at the scientists that you bring in and you kind of like make them business people to an extent, like if I were to like really synthesize it down, how do you know which scientists have that potential to transition over? And it seems that you have a pretty good track record of like making that transition. So like, what's, what's that selection process like? So for you to know this person's right, maybe this person needs like a little bit more development and then they can come back. Like, how do you like work through that to find the, like the, the Clara foods or the Finless foods type of people? Yeah. Uh, so, so first of all, we, yeah, we, we talk about for Indie Bio really focusing on turning scientists into entrepreneurs. Uh, it's not exactly that kind of a divide. Um, I think what we, what we see the best um, companies really are founded on teams and usually a team of two, one who leads on the science side, leads on the product side, and one who leads on the business side. Uh, indeed, most of our business uh, CEOs tend to be scientists themselves. Uh, and that actually gives them a really great blend because they come into business with the scientific method. Uh, so instead of saying, oh, I have a technology, I think I know who might want to use it, you do a scientific experiment, right? You go out, talk to potential customers, talk to people who might want to buy this product and partner with you, and you ask them what they want. Um, and you relay that information back to the product person, the person building the science, and, uh, and, and you iterate. Right? So that is very much the lean methodology, also the design methodology. And, and it's actually very similar to the scientific method because you're making up hypotheses, you're testing it, you're reevaluating that hypothesis from the result, and then you're testing it again. So that closing that cycle is, um, I think, really what a good entrepreneur should do and keeping that open mind, not definitely having some internal internal direction of, and vision of what you want to do, but knowing that at every single step, there needs to be optimization and that you're able to shift and adapt based on what you learn. Um, so that's why we think the scientists actually make really great entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. At the same time, scientists coming directly out of academia have to unlearn some things because the pace of academia is a little slow uh, at times and, uh, and, and tends to be you know, more focused on inquiry and producing papers versus creating a product. Um, and so that's what we do at IndieBio. Um, it's a four-month program, and people always ask, how do you do science in four months? And mm-hmm. the short answer is we don't. We, we don't necessarily say, is the science going to work or not? It's, it's, we usually come in after the point that we know that science is going to work, and we think about how do we productize that science? How do we turn it into a product that somebody else would want to pay for um, and, and go from there? So when we evaluate companies, we focus very much on who the team members are. How do they know each other? How long they've worked together? Uh, what's their dynamic like? And, and who's the scientist? Who's the entrepreneur? Or who's the business type person? Um, and then we, we talk, think about what is the technological advantage they have that gives them an unfair advantage in the field that they're, they're tackling. So that often comes as IP, as the core of their technology. And then next is we think about what product they're building. So science in itself isn't a product. You have to package the science in a way uh, that someone else would pay for. So what is that actual product that they're building? How does that one product then turn into a sustainable business model? Does it mean you have to come out with multiple products? Uh, you know, who are you actually selling to and how does, how does the company become profitable? Um, and then lastly, as kind of the BC question is, it has to be hugely impactful. So we often say a billion dollars or a billion people. Uh, mm-hmm. So big, big problems in the world. Luckily, there are a lot of big problems when it comes to planetary and human health in the world. Mm-hmm. 
how how are you able to stay current like with all these different things coming out there i I know you have a good science underpinning to you but even when i think there was a a, some research that came out where it's it's there's so much new stuff coming out that specialists in their field almost can't spend the amount of time necessary just to read all the new stuff so i'm curious how do you prioritize the right type of content maybe where are some examples of how or what are some examples of how you do that in, in specific arenas to keep yourself at the level where you can keep finding like these gems that are most people are missing out on? Yeah, I think that's actually one of the biggest joys of my job is I love innovation and I love hearing about innovation. I myself was a scientist, so I was doing the innovation, but it, when I was doing it, it was one project for multiple years, right? Um, I I love to learn and, and synthesize and and just see what is out there and um, and hypothesize around a lot of new things. So um, I definitely keep up with mostly news articles. Um, I have a couple of news sources, um, both ones that are in the investment space as well as the science space and um, in science, not just bioscience, but a little bit on the high tech space as well, um, to just kind of keep track of what's going on. And, uh, you know, I learned so much from the founders that come in, um, uh, every time we bring on a new company, you know, they have the expertise of their field and they are also, also learning about their field as well. So we, during the program, we get to learn a lot with them hand in hand, um, and, and really broaden the horizons and start to understand their industry, understand the challenges in their industry as well. And then think about how we can get over those challenges together. So, um, you know, we, when we invest in the companies, uh, we're you know on the cap table table with them and, and the trenches with them that, um, you know, we want to see them be successful. So we're always figuring out ways to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Is there something that people tend to go to you for help for? Like if, if you, you know, you have a, a giant team or not a giant, like a, a good sized team. And so I'm wondering if, if someone's having like a, are you like a specialist in anything where it's like, Oh, go, go to you. If you're having, I don't know, like this type of science problem, or if you're trying to transition this type of technology, is there anything that you're like a, like a core expert that people tend to go to you for? Yeah. So, um, for the indie bio team, we're actually six people. Uh, and so I lead the science side. Um, and a lot of my job is to try to help advise the folks on their science. So, um, between, um, making sure that they have the supplies they need in the lab, as you can see behind us, um, to really thinking about what is that de-risking science event that needs to happen to really show investors that the science really works. So there's a lot of planning, keeping track of people and trying to pull in resources as the companies need them. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I see like myself a little bit as like a concierge service of bringing, uh, you know, people in our network, mentors um, in the greater San Francisco and global network uh, and, and helping our companies too. And, inter- and doing that interface. My background is in uh, chemical biology and immuno-oncology, and so I do have deep experience in elements of synthetic biology, protein engineering, um, cancer, and uh, and a little bit of neuroscience as well. Um, so, and yeah. Is there anything you're particularly bad at? Like, so I always try to <laughs> <laughs> like complete the picture. Um, like, I'm not I'm not good at juggling, but I'm sure that I'm bad at other things as well. But <laughs> I just swallowed while I was speaking. I was stupid. But is there anything, apparently speaking without uh, swallowing my uh, and choking, but what are some things that you're maybe not the best at? Um, I think I think every time we uh, we interview 
people, there's always new fields that I've never even heard of. Um, so it's, it's really cool. And I think it challenges me to go in and learn about those fields. Um, I do absolutely do not admit that I know certain industries and know the science as well as some of our teams do. Um, but it's about challenging them to make sure that they, you know, see the unknown unknowns and, um, and asking the right questions. Um, and usually asking the obvious questions that, that come up, right. That, that they, they might not have thought of. And because those are probably the questions that other venture capitalists would, would be asking as well and making sure that they know how to answer those, um, in a way and, and have thought through those processes. Yeah, the, um, I'm curious in terms of the program. So I know there, like there's Y Comedy who has a program. There's your, your neighbors across the pond, Rebel Bio that has a program. How do you, how do you stack up your program against others? Are there things that you're qualitatively better at that? I mean, I'm sure you're going to be a little biased because like you you very much love what you're doing, but do you think there's anything that you're, you guys are particularly good at that you think that people tend to gloss over or maybe don't have the opportunity to see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we're a huge fan of all the other programs around, you know, we, we can only take 15 companies and every year there's more and more companies um, out there that we can't take, unfortunately, uh, that we really want to spread. Our mission is to really spread biology as a technology across the whole globe. So we've actually worked with a lot of different um, countries and different folks that want to spin up accelerators and incubators. Um, I think every, well, as entrepreneurship is super, super hard, there is a million things that could destroy your company. Um, trying to navigate that space is never easy. And for for every company, even that come into our class, they have a very different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you, you know, we try to do our best and we're kind of an evolving program ourselves. Our program now is very, very different from three years ago. And, um, and we always keep optimizing and trying to support our companies as best as we could. So um, we definitely have a couple of big differences from some of the other programs um, in either a little bit of the mission or the focus or the, uh, the fact that we have a lab space or um, the level of engagement and the, the kind of the day-to-day programming that we have with our, with our companies. And we really focus on making sure that they have a business case to stand on and, and, and then also making sure that they have the scientific backing uh, to support uh, the product and the business. And so while, um, you know, all these companies need to raise money oftentimes after they leave us uh, in order to grow to the next level, we want to make sure that they have a solid business foundation that essentially naturally attracts investors. Makes sense. And especially trying to make a bio program in the Bay Area is really difficult. I know, I think last year, Y Combinator tried making like a white bio program, but then they just folded it back into the normal program. So like having something that's specifically about the sciences for the sciences in that, that area that has so many huge tech hubs, I, I imagine it is, is a particularly special in and of itself. The, yeah. um, I know we wanted to discuss this topic and I wish there was like a smarter way for me to set it up, but uh, biology as technology was something that we wanted to talk about. So as, as the scientist who's definitely more uh, smarter than I am, is there a trend that you've been seeing in terms of translating biology to something that we can technologically manipulate or use to solve problems that you've been noticing? Yeah, definitely. I think this has been a trend in the last few decades, actually. Um, So like with computation, 
when um, that technology kind of formed, you could read, write, copy, cut, and paste instantly. That was kind of built in, right? And um, and that allowed you to start engineering and program. Uh, in biology, it took us 70 years in order to get those capabilities for DNA alone. Um, so, but, but we have finally been able to read, write, copy, cut, and paste. It's still not 100% efficient. It's still not super, super cheap, but um, it's, it's definitely much better than what we had even a couple of years ago. And what that means is now we can start taking an engineering approach to, to biology, um, starting with the DNA, but now we also know there's RNA, proteins, there's, there's microbiome, there's metabolites, there's, there's all kinds of other things that we can start to manipulate, cell levels, um, and even all whole, whole organism level. So um, now that we have those tools, and now that they are being, they're more accessible, uh, we can now start to approach biology as an engineering science, not just to look under the microscope to see what biology does, but to really build and engineer with it. And so that's that's the exciting part. And just like um, computation and your smartphones and apps have essentially revolutionized every aspect of our society, biology has that power. And even more so, too, because it is in all the foods we eat. It is in the materials we use. Um, and uh, and you know everything we interact with. Sometimes I hear that innovators and startup founders are kind of like time travelers, where they they have this ability to see into the future, and they're kind of trying to make the future happen. Is there a future that you're particularly working towards, or is there? Yeah, I guess that would be a first part, and then I have a second part to that. But is there a future that you want to see that you're working towards? Yeah, um, I think we have a lot of problems in the world. Um, you know, in the next 25 years, there is a hundred trillion dollar opportunity um, in biology to, to fix the, the world in essence. Um, you know, global warming being one of the biggest issues, mm -hmm. disease, uh, we're all going to die at some point. And, uh, and we also, you know, from the, the, the pain and the, and the, um, suffering of aging as well. Um, we're seeing we're while we've cured a lot of diseases, we're seeing other diseases like like cancer, Alzheimer's, um, you know, autism, things like that, also skyrocketing too. So, um, you know, just from thriving as humanity, uh, we want our home uh, mm -hmm. to be safe and secure, and we want ourselves to hopefully be healthy and to be able to fully maximize the capacity that that we can, so that we can enjoy the time that we have on earth to you know, connect with our friends and families and, and do meaningful work and, and have hobbies. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the world I like to see. And I think um, there's a lot of challenges uh, that we know about coming up on the horizon. And, uh, and I think with biology, we can fix a lot of those. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when, when I try and think like what will be different when we're old, like when we're older, like, you know, like sitting on a porch somewhere, think about what things were different. A lot of times when people are older, they think like things were drastically different from when they were kids. And I think if, if we don't do everything that we can to make these changes, the world that our, you know, the next generation is going to inherit, it will be very different. Like, oh, remember when it used to, like hurricanes used to not hit Ireland or, or uh, Chicago didn't have the same temperature as Antarctica, you know, like that's what's happening this week. So. I think it's like, it's a weird thing in that we, we stand at this moment where if we do a good job, like we'll know it 
sometimes I feel that people wake up and they think, what's a problem they can solve in it? Like, what real impact will it have? And it's if you do a good job, the world will be different and you will be able to see it because if you do nothing, <laughs> it will be very noticeable. So it's one of the things that kind of gets me like kind of like emotional and, and uh, excited about it is this idea that there's so much that we can learn right now. We have access to the internet, you know, podcasts, books, all this content programs, such as your, the ones that you guys are making. The, there's so many opportunities to develop things to make a change. And so now it's just pick something that's exciting to you, spend time learning about it and, and then go do it. And on this idea of kind of like, you know, you know, paint by numbers, like do your, do your own adventure. Do you, do you find, I think I agree with you to an earlier statement you made where science is a good operating system and a good methodology to interact with the world. You mentioned the lean startup, which is like a book that was written where most people thought it was like this entrepreneurial system. The guy basically used the, the science uh, method, like you said. So are there, and I think most people can think of Elon Musk, who I think he had like a physics degree and he kind of used that as his base to learn all the other things that excites him. Is there a, are there certain areas where you'd recommend people to learn if they, if there are scientists or maybe there are like the average person, like other key areas that if you think you'd recommend people learn more about them so you can have a better understanding to be, have a higher chance of being able to innovate, if that makes sense. Because I think someone told me that if you need, if you want to innovate, you have to understand things at least one level down so you can go that, you know, many levels above, if that makes sense. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I um, definitely promote a more scientifically literate society. Um, and I think there's a lot of different drivers of why that isn't the case um, right now. And, uh, you know, having that transparency and having the ability to, uh, feel like you can become a scientist. I think there's a, a huge barrier for people to think like, you have to go get a PhD to be a scientist, but that's, that's not true. And if you, you know, start getting curious and start reading, then, then you can find some solutions and, and something that you can work on. Um, so in general, I think there's, there needs to be a cultural shift where people are just curious and that they, they want to you know, keep learning and understand what's actually going on, understand what is, um, you know, maybe an over-exaggeration in an article, like, you know, the whole fake news thing that happens a lot in science too. And in some ways in the way things are portrayed or, or the way that um, things are exaggerated that have that, you know, cause a lot of people to, to essentially disbelieve science too. So um, I think there needs to be a better culture around that curiosity and that everyone should have access to their, the primary literature and, and to really understand um, how the scientific method works and, and to even participate. Um, and I think that also um, correlates what you were saying earlier is that, you know, trying to make a change in the world, knowing that, for example, global warming is, is such an issue. You know, it is kind of, global warming is one of the biggest tragedies of the commons. It is the biggest tragedy of the commons and that we're all affected by it. But I think any individual doesn't feel like they can really do anything about it, right? So, so how do we um, change that mindset too, and and encourage people to really starting starting to you know taking responsibility for their own of their own selves, but coming up with ideas that could potentially affect larger ecosystems. And all these are extremely complex systems, so um, it is also very hard to say that one little change is going to solve everything. 
Um, but but what will happen is hopefully we have hundreds, thousands, and millions of people all working together on different aspects, and all these little changes will be able to to cure the problem. I definitely think that I think people are almost born scientists, and then something happened through K through twelve where they. <laughs> They stop seeing it as exciting. It's like peer pressure, actually. <laughs> yeah, like sci- science is exciting. Like having a better understanding of the world and appreciating what colors are, or how food gets in front of you, or like being able to dissect the news so you can better appreciate what actually is going on. So you know, like, do I need to be mindful of certain things that are coming up? Like, I, I think, I think we're we're born born scientists, and it's been proven as like a species. Like science has really gotten us to this like hockey stick level. In terms of like maybe thinking critically, I think there's a book called Think Think Fast, Think, think Slow or something like think that. Fast, slow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that a book that you recommend for people to check out to kind of develop their, their thinking process in a more holistic way? Because I, I think that book has a good way of like showing like how we're influenced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have heard of the book, but I actually have not read it. So I'm not okay. exactly sure what their thesis is. <laughs> Okay, good. Uh, never mind. I'd recommend it to anyone who wants to check it out. It's, yeah. it's pretty good, especially if you want to, um, or it's a thick book too. So read like a chapter a night and get it done, get it done in a month. But um, in terms of others, I don't know, are, do you read science books or, or, or books in general, or are you more of like a journal type person, like a science journal? Um, it, it definitely varies on the topic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the question is, yeah, (laughs) yeah, my bad. That was, uh, uh, the question is, are there, are there books that you find really good that you recommend people to check out? Yeah. Um, I have to think about that. Um, in terms of like maybe science, biology, biology. um, yeah, some of the best primers on biotech, uh, I say it's the gene. Mm-hmm. Um, and Homo Deus uh, would be, yeah, really interesting to get a get an idea of how we've got here from biological level, and then um, and then kind of what there is in the future for ge- genetic engineering and synthetic biology. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I would definitely recommend those. Yeah, Gene was, Gene was fantastic. D- uh, double recommend that one. I have to still read mm-hmm. the other one. The, I think one of the other topics we wanted to talk about is like transitioning from science to entrepreneurship. And I've been learning more about MBAs, like whether or not you should get one or not get one. And it seems like programs like yours are kind of like mini condensed, like masters in business to help translate people through. But when people come in and they're, you know, I, I think of like a process meter because probably I watched uh, play too many video games where that like 0%, like full scientist. And then at the end, they're like have hundred percent of the business acumen to develop their, their startup. What are some of the like hurdles or like mini bosses they tend to have to fight to like get to that hundred percent, if that makes sense? And if if you, yeah. if you play video games, I can find a better analogy. Yeah. So for for companies at, at our stage and in our accelerator, we we talk about converting scientists to entrepreneurs, but it's it's not exactly that clear cut. What ends up happening is a scientist essentially develop both a science and entrepreneur kind of persona. And this is really important because if you just 
bring in an MBA that maybe does not have any science background, then they're going to not be as successful either because they're not able to go into meetings and kind of adapt and, and, and understand their science enough to have a productive conversation with a, with a partner or a customer per, per se. Um, and then if you're a pure scientist who don't want to even talk to customers, then, then that obviously is a, is a limiting hurdle as well. So, um, so what we see is that oftentimes if the scientist who has the curiosity and has the drive to really deliver, deliver their science into the world, that kind of personality um, has been, has been you know, the most successful. Um, and, and that's to say, you know, sometimes, sometimes they don't even realize that that's in their wheelhouse until they go through our program and get exposed to so many things. And then they realize that, wow, like, talking to customers and, and making that link between their science and what the customer wants um, is very gratifying for them. So, so there is a little bit of a discovery process and not everybody um, takes it in the same way and, uh, and transitions in the same way. Um, but uh, we definitely see people going through mindset shifts really um, in during the program. Mm-hmm. I, I would think, I imagine it would be really gratifying to like be trying to make something that is ultimately to help out a group of people, whether it's people who want to have, you know, food that is more locally sourced in the sense of like you could, you'd be able to grow it instead of having to, you know, have ethical concerns about it being slaughtered and whatnot. Like talking to someone who's exciting about it, excited about it as well, like an end user, I imagine it'd be very gratifying instead of like just staying like in your lab and just working on it, then they can give you the necessary feedback to make it even better and more tailored to them, which would be like talking to someone who's really excited about what you're doing. Or like if you've, I think um, anyone who's trying to imagine what it would be like if you're like working on a project and you're able to talk to someone who ultimately is going to benefit from it. For some reason, some people tend not to make that leap. They're like, why don't I go ask them how this will help them and benefit them? But it's, I think to some extent people are afraid or maybe this is my hypothesis and we'll see if you have a different one. But that I think sometimes people think I should build it first make sure it's perfect and then go bring it to them because I wouldn't want to waste their time or have them think negative things about it. But to, for me, it seems that the earlier you talk to them, the better it is because no one's ever going to be like, Oh, wow, you're coming in to solve this problem that I have. Why didn't you come back when it was perfect? Like they're going to be like, Oh sweet. Let me give you the feedback you need so you can make it even better. Like mo- most people are like very engaging about it and they're not negative. Now, that's a hypothesis that I have, but I'm sure that yeah. you would feel the same way or that in your experience that people listening who maybe have that fear, we can like squash it and let them know that like 99% of people are going to be overly positive when you come to them. And like that 1% of person, people, it's all right. Like you already have 99%, so you can ignore them. Well, not ignore them, but like categorize them appropriately. Right. Absolutely. And that's part of the lean, lean methodology too, is don't get, have everything perfect because you could spend years and especially in science, you can spend many, many years trying to perfect things. And then when you give it to someone, they might not even want to use it. Right. So um, those small tweaks and understanding and the adaptation allows you to really iterate on your product and hopefully get to a positive trajectory much faster, even though it's, it might be a slow positive trajectory. Um, it's going to be better than not having any trajectory or a negative trajectory too. So, um, and then finding those alpha testers who, you know, who you really are, whose problem you're really solving to the point where they do really want to grab it out of your hands. Right. And that's when you know that you have product market fit and that, that someone really wants what you're building. Um, and, uh, 
And, you know, that can also be a trap too, because when you first start talking to one customer, maybe they want something that's very, very specific to their needs, but then might not translate to other customers. And then you won't be able to build a big business out of that either. So you really have to diversify and talk to many, many different people and really develop those relationships too. Because once, um, yeah, I, I think everything ends up becoming about relationships too and networking and, and, um, and having that good rapport with folks who really want to help you succeed as well. And because you're also solving their problem. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one risk that people see the idea of funding. I think that, um, and then having the support, I think is a, a problem that you guys solve. Are there other risks that you've noticed that are like more myths than anything that someone who hasn't developed a company would, would maybe be apprehensive and that's stopping them from making that leap to apply to IndieBio? Like, are there other like common myth risks that scientists tend to let them like, like prevent them from like making the application and making that step to start innovating? Yeah, I think part of the biggest thing is lack of role models. Um, and, I, and I think there are many role models now, but, um, but you know, even like three years ago, there were very few people who have done that transition. Um, and, you know, one of the core things that we do is we want to make sure that our successful companies, they are now the role models for the next generation. Um, I think, you know, most PhD students going into a graduate program think of themselves as becoming a professor and maybe going into industry, but very few of them have, were given the permission in some ways to, to say, hey, you can actually start something completely independent. And it's almost like starting up your own lab but you don't do it in academia, you do it in you know, some place like this, <laughs> and, uh, and you go after venture funding versus grant funding. And, and for a lot of these folks, they actually like to see that they're, what's the science that they're doing is actually going into the real world and, and changing someone's lives. Um, so, so I think really having that role model and, and that mindset too. Um, so changing that mindset into a lean mindset where you do that iteration fast, build test cycles uh, versus doing a paper where you kind of have everything laid out and show all the justifications and, and really hone everything in. Obviously in, even in startups, you have things have to be robust, but the whole thing doesn't have to be robust on day one. It's Mm -hmm. you build the, you build it incrementally. And so you can have a very uh, wobbly car at first um, to understand what you're building and as you have more money and as you start launching, then you perfect your car to make it shiny. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine it's a much, I guess it depends on what, it might also, as someone who's thinking about this, depend on what environment you want for yourself. Do you want one environment it's, which is more known for like a publisher pair, parish type situation? Or do you want one that's more like the merits of what you're able to produce that will actually make people's lives better? I think. I'm a little biased because I, I, you know, I see the value of academia as well because like you can, you can innovate and just like do pure science, but then there is that like you're spending so much time just trying to write a paper so you can ensure that you're getting promoted and being tenure and all those things versus, you know, the other avenue which is just Starbucksville, where if you build something that's good and you change someone's life and they like it, they give you money so you can continue to make more life life changing and life saving type of products. So I think it maybe comes down to as well, like this idea, like what, what future do you want? Do you want one where you're kind of like in the minds of publishing and like, you know, like trudging in the coal face, or do you want one where you're going to be meeting with people whose lives you're going to change and you can work, you know, for five, 10, 15 years, seeing the difference you're going to be making that will actually translate where 
I think, like I said in this conversation, a lot of the research that's coming out, like people don't even, like it's almost they don't even have the bandwidth to read it all. So yeah. you'll be like creating the research and actually applying it at the same time. So I think that also maybe is something that people should think about in terms of what do they want for themselves moving forward. Yeah. But, and absolutely, there's a huge role for academia. Um, you know, academia gave us like the computer chip, right? Like it, it, like the core physics and over time, the engineering eventually led to the prototypical computers. Um, we need that academia because a lot of things that are studied there are 10, 20, 30 years out from being commercialized into something useful. And, and it's not just a, you know, one dot goes to this dot. It's a whole string of other dots. And, and over time, different theories get shaped back and forth and uh, d- people building on other people's technologies. And that's, that's honestly how innovation happens. It's not overnight. It's not your one genius that comes in and says they have a great idea. It's, um, it's, all predicated on the entire body of work. And yes, a lot of that body of work might not go anywhere, but in order to for us to get something useful out the other end, we do have to have that body of work there. So, um, so academia and the government funding for academia is super, super crucial. And I wish there was more so that we can fund more really interesting technologies and really understand our world um, before we actually start building and commercializing and building products for it. So, so you know, we work hand in hand with academia. We encourage academics to continue to support academia and, and work with the, with those findings. Um, but it is also frustrating at some points in academia when it just stops. Right. And, um, and you, you need those people who can connect the dots, take elements that have been discovered and put it all together and build something new out of it. So, so there's definitely a role for everyone in this ecosystem and there's a role for more people to come into this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. A lot of the scientists that I think of as, and I think even most people would, would think of them, are the ones that basically took the science and they tried developing a company either like as a bunt off. Like I think George Church's lab, he like half of the stuff that he thinks of becomes companies or Bob Langer, like a lot of the stuff. Mm-hmm. But they, they realized at one point where if they like created the technology in the academic labs and then like just like sold the patents, the people would be like, oh, okay. And they would like this first time they hit a wall, they basically give up on it because they just like bought the patent and they're like maybe trying like 20 different things. But if they took what they spent years developing and then ran through it, there was a great, a much better percentage of actually going through and making, making it through those hurdles and actually applying the technology. Though I will say that your, your response was much more nuanced than me, um, like making it completely dichotomous. I, I agree with you more than what I said, but last few questions before I let you go that are more about you. I'm curious when, when you're not, you know, you have your business or investor hat on, like, what are you doing in your free time? Are you like hiking? Are you, I don't know. I think there's surfing in the Bay area. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I mentioned that the kind of, uh, you know, trying to get science more out there in the world uh, that has actually been one of my hobbies um, is to, to think of ways to, engage the public in science. So um, I uh, actually, during grad school, created a toy company uh, that was ATCG of DNA, and they magnetically stick where they hydrogen bond. Um, I also have a clothing line that is science-related and especially targeted at women scientists uh, to really present themselves into the world and try to get science as a dialogue in the in the world. And um, 
And then uh, more recently, I actually sing science songs on the ukulele. So, uh, the, so I do a lot of artistic things with science um, and try to engage others to think about science as well. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> do you ever just like sit back and like watch a YouTube video or are you like always like working on something? Uh, yeah, definitely have those days too. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, it's like, I always wonder the people who can just like constantly just like keep working. It's like, am I lazy or are you just like so much more driven than me? Probably a little bit of both, but I, I definitely need to step it up. But yeah, and I, I think my personal enjoyment is to um, explore, learn, and make. So, um, you know, kind of the uh, Richard Feynman phrase of what I or what I cannot make, I do not understand is like, I personally really love to to see things happen and to and to play with it and remix things and and bring it out into the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, definitely. The, so the last question is, is there anything coming up in terms of Rebel, not Rebel Bio, they're the, they're the English people, Indie Bio, is there anything coming up with Indie Bio that people listening in should uh, know about? Yeah, we're always um, doing more companies. Uh, every six months, we bring in about 15 new companies. Um, so we're up to, we're just over a hundred now. Um, and so we're always looking for great companies to fund and to bring in to help. Um, and, uh, and especially companies that are doing things that are completely new and interesting with biology. So, uh, we, we have several areas that we look at, but I think I get most excited when we see a company that either blends a bunch of different areas together or come up with a completely new application for biology. Mm. Um, and I, you know, we're always trying to get scientists, um, PhD students, um, people who've worked in the industry to think about entrepreneurship too, um, as an, as an option. So, uh, you want to challenge them to think about ideas that they can come up with, with the science that they've already know, or to go learn a new science that, that they can then apply. Yeah. Is there any other ways to be supportive? Cause I, I generally think what IndieBio is, what, what they're doing is fantastic. Maybe I'm sure you guys have like Twitter and social media, but mm -hmm. other than maybe if people aren't necessarily working on a startup now, but if they're like have their ears to the, to the, to the streets and they hear of someone working on something, they can maybe recommend them to you guys. But is there, is there any other good ways to be supportive? Yeah. And yeah, definitely check out our website. We're starting to put out a bunch of content pieces, both YouTube uh, podcasts and written pieces that really talk about some of the higher level thinking and thesis, and then also the lower level like logistics of, of how you would start a company. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that. And then as you, I think when people start thinking about entrepreneurship, it's great to absorb a lot of different things. And as you learn more interface with new people, uh, these ideas start to come up and, and, uh, and, and that's when you, you know, try to decide whether to make the leap to, to work on something or not, but it definitely takes time to synthesize and to, and to really look into yourself too, uh, for, for every, every entrepreneur is to find out like, what are you passionate about? What are your core values and why do you want to make a certain change in the world? Cause entrepreneurship is grueling. It's, it's continuous ups and down roller coasters and, um, and uh, it can be very, very hard. But, um, if you have that guiding light as to why you're doing this, uh, whether to be solve disease or to fix something in the world, um, to get over a challenge that you were that you had, um, to really to really consider that as as you know your purpose and your and your goal. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I lied. I forgot there was one last question I'd like to ask people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, because I always, I always wonder what people wonder about who are very smart. And so I'm wondering, what is something that you don't have the answer to, but that you're curious about that if anyone listening in could be like, I maybe have an answer for you. And they could like, I don't know, like tweet you or something like that. But what's something that you don't have an answer to, but that you're very curious about? Oh, I don't have any answers to anything. <laughs> the meaning of the universe. I know there's, there's so many questions. Um, uh, I personally am really interested in neuroscience right now and I'm understanding how our minds tick and, uh, and, uh, and how it changes, especially. So um, neuroplasticity and how, how it changes with age and potentially how we can intervene with some of these neurological diseases. So the mind is just, it's such a black box right now. Like we are only barely scratching the surface from the technological side of understanding what's going on. So I would, I would love to learn more about that. Um, and then of course, climate change is one of the biggest pressing things. Um, I think it, you know, with some of the newest reports coming out, um, we don't, if, if we don't change and develop technologies, we don't have, nobody on this earth will have a lot of time left. So, um, so that it becomes a really pressing problem and solving problems in that space is also super, super difficult. So um, we're trying to think about how do we incentivize people to get more involved? How do we uh, fund these projects when, when it's the tragedy of the commons? Um, and then, and then what are the technological barriers? Because there are a lot of fundamental technologies that need to be created in order for us to solve these problems. Other than that, I want to inform people before we go that there is a new way to show support for the podcast and to keep it advertisement free from now until forever, which is called Patreon. If you go to Patreon and look for Learning with Lowell, you'll see this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell this year, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends, please and thank you.